what we're going to do is, is we're going to open the Bible. Uh, we're a Bible teaching church, if you're new. So what we do is we read the scripture, we explain it, uh, and then we apply it. And so that's how we roll. Uh, we esteem God's word that is God-breathed, and, uh, and it is everything that we need for life and godliness. So if you want to stand to your feet, if you're able, we're going to read Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 1 through verse 4. I'll read the two odd verses, and then I need you to read loud on verse 2 and verse 4. So what we do is we, we, uh, we're like the people of God, and we're filling uh, the house of God with the word of God. And where else does that happen but here? And so Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, New Living Translation says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right or good, but in those who are doing wrong or evil. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. And Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we're here. Thank you that you've washed us of our sin. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for a brand new life that Jesus went to the cross and died upon our cross for our sins and rose again from the dead and empowers us to walk with you and to experience a new life in Christ. Father, I pray that as you open your word, we would recognize that these are God-breathed words, not just the words of some clever person, but breathed by you and profitable for us to open and understand. So we pray you'd open the eyes of our understanding and help us to grasp the truth of this passage in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed by saying? Yeah, I forgot to welcome everybody watching online, so give it up for everybody watching online. We love that you're watching, and I hope to see you here sometime. So the title of the message is this, is God over government. God over government. And so we're going to unpack these four verses here. Romans 13 really is the most important section in the Bible on the role of government and our relationship to the government. I think there could not be a more timely time to unpack this in light of the times in which we live. So we're going to have a conversation this morning about our relationship to the government and all that is going on in the world. I think it is so important we talk about this. And I just have to say, for the first time in my life, being a pastor, I have experienced the government reaching into the life of the church. For the first time in my life, I've experienced the government wanting to dictate the terms of, of worship. And so our goal this morning is what, what we want to do is we want to get an accurate theology of the government and the role of the government and our role to them. And the church really needs to have a biblically sound and a robust grasp of this critical text here. And so our goal then, again, is to develop uh, an understanding, a biblical understanding of theology of the government really to help us to navigate through the times in which we live in an ever-changing world. And so we're going to highlight then also the God-ordained role of government. What does that look like? What's the limitations of God-ordained government here? And as we begin, I just want to give us just a quick little uh, historical context here. This is written to a church, a community of Christ followers in Rome. In Nero, Caesar Nero was the ruling emperor. And you maybe you know about Nero, but if you don't, he was like psycho. Like a complete, utter psychopath, crazy man, madman. Uh, he was one who killed his mother 
killed his stepbrother, killed his first wife. Uh, he was just out of control. Here's a guy who had a shocking level of darkness. I mean, it's just shocking to read about his life. Uh, he was unstable. He was just unhinged. Uh, horrible background. Just insecure to the core. As evil as you could imagine was Nero. Brutal, ruthless, tyrannical leader. Uh, he was overflowing with the most base debauchery imaginable. That's the guy here. Ultimately, he commits suicide. That's his life. And he's the emperor. He's the one that they're talking about, the chief ruling uh, a monarch in the nation there. That's the background here. So the politically, it is filled with corruption here. So the question is, how are Christ's followers then to respond to a dictatorial, oppressive, wicked government there in Rome? So Paul says this, everyone must submit to governing authorities. Everyone, every person there must submit to governing authorities. So God's design actually for a society and a culture that it would look like this. There would be submission to governing authorities. Submission is hupotasso, which means to come under. It's a military term there, to come under one another's authority there for actually protection. But Paul primarily is writing the citizens of Rome, but the larger context, of course, is to everyone, to every, every culture. So what does it mean then to be in subjection? It means to arrange our lives under the governing authorities of those that we're being submissive to. And so Romans then, though, Romans is not a command to submit to any kind of government. I think there's a lot of confusion about the passage, and hopefully we'll be able to clear it up this morning. But the Scriptures absolutely command, on one hand, that the Christ followers to obey God, uh, the rulers that God has appointed, unless what God has appointed becomes corrupted unless it becomes corrupted. And so because when you remove God from government, from the government, their governance will eventually be an affront to God if it's a godless government there. So when you remove God from government, godless governments think that they are God. And they don't rule according to divine rule. They rule according to their own rule. And so in America, we're currently witnessing in our nation, a nation that's progressively trying to remove God. We've, we were observing the de-Christianizing of America for a long time, and that's coming to full expression in our governance. So the next part of the verse says this, everyone must submit to governing authorities. Watch. Look, look at the screen. For all authority comes from God. All authority comes. In other words, all authority, it originates with God. All of it is delegated authority. It's not just authority that they have for no reason. It's been delegated, what the Scripture is saying, by God here. So if, they're, if it's delegated by God, do you think they're accountable to God? If God delegates it to me, am I accountable before God? Yeah, I am. So they're, they're accountable before God. And so the governing authorities then have a stewardship from God for which they will be judged. And so they're not autonomous. They're not sovereign. It's not do whatever you think. And verse 5 tells us this. We don't have time to get there today. We'll unpack it next week. That they are servants of God. The, the original word is diakonos, or where we get our word deacon from. Their deacons are servants of God there, and they're accountable. Every servant of God is accountable to its master. And so 
What must they do faithfully then to discharge their duties under this reality? Well, they must govern as God would have them to govern, which is a biblical standard, and again, by which they will be judged. Okay, they're to, ju- they're to rule by what God has said, his word, the scriptures. And again, they'll be judged by that. They'll be held accountable for that. So how many governments, friends, do you actually know that are accountable to God? Not a whole lot, right? In the earth. Do you think that our government knows it's accountable to God? No, they don't, do they? Yeah. So, uh, so now it's important to note that the Bible does not say, <clears throat> watch, <clears throat> every person must be obedient to the governing authorities. It doesn't say that. So there are certain times when we simply cannot obey the government. For example, the Old Testament in Daniel, chapter 3 is with his buddies Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Perhaps you're familiar with that story. But they were commanded to bow down to the golden image, probably Nebuchadnezzar, and they refused. They refused to do that. And in Acts, it says of the apostles and Peter, it says that we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. And when obeying God leads to us, sometimes we'll have conflict with the government. That is going to happen. I don't think the whole virus, and uh, I don't think it's over. And so, so we're going to have to bear up under that conflict, graciously, humbly, submittingly, but nonetheless to bear up under conflict. Because if we're going to obey God, we will have conflict. And so the governing authorities are subject to the rule of God, which not only includes the, la- the law of the land, but even more so the timeless and transcendent law of God. They're accountable to that. So governing authorities, then, they're not above the law. They're subject to the rule of law. And even the Apostle Paul, who had more run-ins with the law than anyone in the New Testament, held the governing authorities accountable for their lawlessness. Did you know that? They were lawless to him, and he actually held them accountable. And so you see in Acts 22, I'm just going to take a moment to explain this, but there's an example of the authorities that were not being, uh, they thought they were above the law, and Paul showed them you're not. So in Acts 22 there, a riot breaks out in Jerusalem. They're going crazy. They want to kill Paul. And so uh, the Jewish authorities uh, take him away there. And so a Roman commander there orders him to tell the truth. So they begin to try to squeeze the truth out of him. And so when they did that uh, to find out like what happened, it says in Acts 22:25. you can see it on the screen. Is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? See, they're challenging him there, and, they're, and he's basically saying like, hey, buddy, you got to submit to the Roman law, and you're not doing that. So he confronted them there, and then which time the, the, the commander there goes to a centurion, finds out what's the bottom line. Paul is a Roman citizen then, and the guy's starting to freak out because he knew then he violated Roman law, and they immediately let him go. And so, they, so basically, the Roman commander, the point is, he's not above the law. The government official there was not above the rule of law, and he was held accountable. Now look at continuing verse uh, 1 here. It says, For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there or established by God. And so God is a source of all earthly authority. I said it originates with him and is given by God. So I want to talk about the implications of that, because there are some implications that we need to understand. 
So that being the case, all authority comes from God. Here's three important implications. Number one, all authority on earth, as I mentioned, is delegated authority. It's divinely delegated authority there. And so when Jesus was about to be crucified, there's Pilate, and Jesus says to him, in ver- or Pilate says to him in verse 10, says, don't, why don't you speak to me? Like, like, don't you know who I am? Like, don't you know that I have authority to release you? That I have authority to crucify you? And Jesus said, he said, you'd have no authority. Like, here's the reality, pal. You'd have no authority if it wasn't given unto you by God. So there it is given to you above, from above. And so all authority, friends, is delegated by God. And so the second implication is this, is that each governing authority is accountable then to God, since God delegates you are accountable. Government authority is divinely accountable authority. Where everyone I said is going to be judged, where every act of injustice, justice will be served. And apart from repentance and faith in Christ will result in divine judgment. The third implication is this, is government's authority is divinely, this is so important, limited authority. Government authority has a specific sphere, watch, okay, and a specific purpose, which means that government must respect other ordained spheres of authority. They're not totalitarian. So Romans 13.1 does not give governments total authority. We got it? They don't have total authority. It's not giving them authority over the home. It's not giving them authority over the church. They don't have total authority there. See, Romans 13.1 is specifically addressing each individual. Remember, it's to the church at Rome, okay? The individuals of the church at Rome there, and our, it talks about our civic duty to the government. It's not, it's not addressing the corporate entity of the church where the government doesn't have a legitimate authority over the life of the church. And so that means then they can't dictate to the church. They can't dictate the terms of worship to the church. The government cannot command what is not theirs to command, is the bottom line. And so they haven't been given that authority by God. For example, uh, again, the terms of worship in the local church. To, to go there is government overreach, which God's never appointed or given them the authority to do. So we can't comply with that. So Romans 13.1 is not giving the government authority to restrict, for example, the preaching of the gospel, of the teaching of the scripture here. And uh, when the government begins to forbid that, then we disobey. We must obey God rather than scripture. And friends, the presence of a virus doesn't change anything. The presence of a virus doesn't alter anything. There's been viruses for, for forever. And so there will be viruses forever. That doesn't change the narrative of what God originally intended here. So now the government can certainly come and, uh, and ask, ask the church, hey, we need your help and make requests and things like that to help us you know, mitigate the virus there. But they have no authority to dictate to the church that we must close our doors or restrict access to gatherings. So viruses are inevitable. It's an inevitable part of a fallen world there. So let's look at verse 2. 
It says, so anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. So here is part of the, the, the function of the government, to punish evil. There it is, punish evil. The role of the government is to, one of the roles is to restrain evil. And when the government functions to restrain evil, it's doing its God-appointed purpose, God-ordained purpose. So the government has been ordained by God uh, to restrain evil and has oversight to punish evil in the land. But the government does not have the right to define what is evil and what is good. You see, that is not fluid, though it is treated like it is fluid. Good and evil are defined by God and defined by God's word. And so good, good and evil are not defined by this ever-evolving whim of the culture. That's how good and evil are defined. And so good and evil are defined by God. And so this reinforces the obligation of the government then to govern in accordance with God's, what God has said. And so the limitations in Scripture on the government are very clear. And so the, the role of the government is to uphold law in order, uphold the Constitution, to punish evil, and then to get out of the way. Yeah. And so the problem which we're facing today is this, is when government ceases to function by God's design, then what? Then what do you do? See, the government yields its right to exercise uh, uh, its God-given authority when it fails in its function there. And so when government ignores the divine design uh, and, pr and protects those who do evil and then punishes those who do wrong, how many people know something's wrong? Come on, how many people know something's wrong? And so and then it forfeits its God's given authority. And so in our world today in America, uh, we have a culture then that is, that is protecting, think about it, protecting the unlawful, protecting criminals, protecting the immoral. And it's like it's, it's getting upside down. And so when the criminals are restrained because they don't fear the consequences uh, of the culture, and then like police do fear the consequences if they, if they exercise uh, uh, um, correcting them, you know something is wrong. And so God's design for government, when it begins to become corrupted uh, and it ceased to function the way that God designed it, then we're not subject to it. For example, uh, there's a great pastor in Edmonton, Canada. I love this guy. I admire this guy. His name's James Coates. And he went to prison for preaching the gospel while at the same time the looters and the rioters go free. That's inverting what God had originally intended. Verse 3. For the authorities don't strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong or evil. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? It's really simple. Do what is right and they're going to honor you. But notice the qualifier here, doing what is right versus doing what is wrong here. All governing authority forfeits its divine appointment when their policies contradict the divine design of government. They're forfeiting it when, they, when they're contradicting the divine design for government. Governments are designed to sustain good, 
there and to restrain evil. And so when you begin to see governments doing the opposite, where they are not restraining evil and they're not sustaining good, but punishing good, you see the government then is becoming inverse. Isaiah said this in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those and who put darkness for light and light for darkness. If those who for bitter put, make sweet and sweet bitter. In other words, woe to those who call, call harmful safe and safe harmful. Woe to those who call what is unjust just and what is unjust just. And so Proverbs says it's, hey, here's, here's the, God's perspective on those in, in leadership and those ruling and the life that they live and how they govern. It says it's an abomination for a king or a president, an emperor or a ruler to commit wickedness. Well, well, why is that? It also says in the New Living Translation, a king detests wrongdoing, wrongdoing, for his rule is built on justice. So why is it an abomination for a king to commit wickedness? Here's why. Because of the trickle-down effect. Because when a king would sit on the throne in that day and represented all authority there, and it, so it was an abomination for a king or a president or ruler that could impact so many people's lives and, and have such a ripple effect through the culture there that it would ultimately undermine the stability of, of the whole culture of the society by how they ruled, for good or for evil. For example, today, it's abomination okay, for a king to, to, to commit uh, wickedness, to go against what God has said, to redefine marriage, to redefine morality, to put a new spin on gender. God has spoken. God has spoken forever. And his word and, and his ideal for culture and mankind will never change there. So here's the question. Should a Christ follower submit to something that God calls a woe? Should we submit to that and we should go along with that? When God says, whoa, hint, it rhymes with no. It rhymes with no. Okay, so just a little. We're called to be obedient to the truth. We're not, we're not called to be compliant with lies, but to, be, to, be, to commit to the truth. So let us be cautious, friends, in following whatever a godless government demands or mandates. Be cautious. Okay, you're not under subjection to follow wicked, godless rule. So I want to stop here and just pause and pivot and unpack a little bit more of this from a different angle by shifting to Daniel and talking about his life a little bit. Because um, I really believe that there's a picture of uh, the parallels of what is happening today in our nation. And so uh, it's really it is possible to maintain your convictions and stand firm in your faith and not conform to the culture around you. So I want to uh, highlight Daniel as, as one that does that. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So Daniel gives great insight into the ideology of a godless government and how they accomplish their agenda, which again parallels America. Daniel chapter 6, verse 5, if you want to look above, here's the ideology. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against Daniel. I were good with Daniel unless, unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So see, there it is, and that's what they do. Watch, friends, watch. You could also say, uh, we shall not find any charge against who? Like 
the Christ follower. We should not find any charge against the church. Oh, unless we find it in the law of their God. So what becomes a strategy of godless governments then is you have laws and policies that will contradict the scripture. That's, that's, their, that's their bottom line agenda there. So where we have moral values that, or they'll promote moral values that are to be accepted by the majority, even though they're contrary to scripture, just keep constant pressure to get you to accept those. So how do you get to a place, how do we get to a place in a nation where you go on the East Coast and you see our capital and you see scriptures and all buildings and monuments, how do we go from that to where we are today? So this is how it has happened. Daniel chapter one, what you saw there was the deploying, the intense deployment of indoctrination on a demographic of youth. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're youth. So there it is. So what happens today? We're going to unpack that some more. You have these Hebrew boys, and they're being indoctrinated completely. And so uh, and the tentacles of what they were doing, of the totalitarian tactics that they were expressing there, was to contradict truth, you know, to get them completely re-educating them is what was happening there. Like today, where we've taken the scripture, reading the Bible out of schools, where we can't pray publicly, where we have systematically de-Christianized America. And it begins with this, if you can contradict truth in the words of Hitler, and I quote Hitler, the state would have to be scrubbed clean of Christian convictions and values, end quote. Why? Because there are mirrors that remind humans there's a higher authority of a divine standard by which we've been called to live. And the government has been called to govern. So, uh, so step one is it contradicts truth. That's what they did here. The next thing is control the news, control the narrative. So Joseph Goebbels, who was a minister of propaganda for Hitler, said this. If you, you, maybe you've heard this. If you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. Have you heard that? They'll eventually come to believe the lie. And so the lie can be, and then he says, the lie can be maintained only for such a time as the state, watch, watch, can shield people from the political, economical, and military consequences of the lie. And it thus becomes vitally important for the state to use, watch, all of its power to repress dissent. For the truth is the mortal enemy of a lie. And you see that today. You see that today. We give a zillion illustrations of that, of, of the media today trying to repress any dissent to the narrative. And thus, by extension, the truth can become the greatest enemy of the state. Think about America. Maybe you know this, uh, but six media giants in America, you, they currently control 90% of everything you read, everything you watch, everything you listen to. 90%, friends, 90%. A conglomerate, what it is, conglomerate billionaires, and none of them have a biblical worldview. None of them. So what are you getting? You are constantly getting an indoctrination there. And so, uh, so number one, contradict truth. Number two, control the news. Number three, bring conflict to groups. So as long as people get in society, they get the, the, the government can get people to, uh, to be opposed to one another, okay, and divide one another, and be at one another's throats, whether it's the rich and the poor or political groups who are 
race versus race. Uh, what you see then is, uh, is the destabilizing of society. And when that happens, then the government swoops in because, oh, we don't want to be living in an unstable country. And uh, so we'll give up some of our freedom if you'll just help us, control us. And this is what has happened throughout history and nations, and it's happening in our nation. And so did you know that, for example, I, I recognize this is a lot, but I've got a lot to say. So, you know, and I say this because I love you. I love you very much, and I feel it's my responsibility to tell you the truth. And so that's, that's why I'm doing this. And so, did you know that the, the Nazi propaganda machine leveraged man-made epidemics to justify quarantining the Jews and coined a derogatory name, the filthy Jew? I wonder if it has any parallels with the unvaxxed. And the media was able to convince and manipulate the people that they were able to justify putting them, next thing, in camps. Because they thought they were carrying a disease and they were contagious. Contagious. Hello, friends. It's happening all over the world. Camps being built. So and if you contradict the truth and control the news and bring conflict to groups number four, then you convert the youth. Convert the youth. Think about that. The, think about it. The agendas in the curriculum that's reaching the children at a younger age. Friends, are you aware of it? It's awful. I mean, it would just make you vomit if, if you read it. It's so awful. It's as awful as you can imagine. But, but why? But why are they doing that? Why are they going after the youth? And more than that, they're going after the children. Why? Because they're pliable. Because they don't know any difference. Because they don't have discretion there. And so they can down, so they're starting to download younger and younger and younger. And uh, like sex education, are you aware of it? It's just awful. And so, and this is why it's a parent's right, a parent's responsibility to make sure that social conditioning to act in a way that's broadly approved uh, and, of course, accepted by their peer groups. And you've got to take control and you've got to stand and, and, and fight for and protect a, a generation of children and youth. And so if we don't, um, I think it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the only thing, only thing necessary for evil to prevail is that good people don't do anything. And so people blindly accept what is lethal when not shepherded by Scripture. People blindly accept what is lethal in every way when not shepherded by Scripture. And so, friends, now is the time, the Bible says in Romans, says now is the time to, to wake up. Now is the time not to be silent. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. Not to speak is to speak and not to act, is to act. So friends, I just want to say in our, your context, we have to take a stand. Uh, we must rise up uh, with courage and with composure and with fearlessness and I think ferocity. And the parents must rise up against godless indoctrination that's going to happen in the public schools. You've got kids, what are you going to do? You need to think about it before it comes. They're in school now, what are you going to do? And uh, and knowing this, the Bible says, it's high time you wake out of our sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. And so, friends, the title of the message is God over government. And I close with, choose God 
over government. We choose God and we choose what God has said over government. And so, because if Christ has truly risen, then we've been commissioned to hold the line, and to hold the truth on this side of heaven and not to back down. And we know that God is control, in control, but we can't back down. We can't be pressured. Uh, every godless government will eventually be judged, will be overthrown. And so what do we do? We submit ourselves to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We submit to Him. We submit to His Word. And we maintain our convictions. And we don't conform to the culture. And we stand firm in the faith. Amen. Let's pray. And Father, thank you uh, for our gathering here today. And thank you, Lord. I pray that we're encouraged. I pray, Lord, that we would be a light in the world. I pray that we would be salt in the earth. That we would be the ones that influence and not the ones who are influenced. Father, I pray that you would take what's been said and light a match on it and cause it to, to just burn in our hearts. May we be governed and ruled by what you have said. And Father, I pray your word would not return void, but accomplish the purpose whereunto it's been sent. In Jesus' name, amen.